Chapter 23 of the Outdoor Girls at Foaming Falls. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Outdoor Girls at Foaming Falls by Laura Lee Hope. Chapter 23. Life or Death. It took the girls only a moment to grasp the full force of that terrible situation. Amy must have drifted unawares into this dangerous part of the river, dreaming of Will, perhaps and when she became conscious of her danger it was too late to save herself. Too late? Was it too late? The girls asked themselves feverishly. The current had caught the tiny craft and was carrying it swiftly toward the cascading torrent of the falls. Amy's frantic efforts were turning it toward the shore as the canoe rushed onward. The awful, the horrible question was, would it be possible for her to reach land before the merciless current swept her over the falls and into the swirling vortex of waters beneath? It seemed not. Fear caught at the hearts of the outdoor girls as they realised that nothing short of a miracle could save Amy from that terrible fate. It's a judgement on me, cried Grace, wringing her hands. I was mean to her. I was jealous of her. Oh, hush, cried Molly. Come with me. There's a chance, just a chance that we may save her. The others did not stop to question, but followed Molly as she plunged through the woods toward the head of the falls. As they came out again upon the bank, the other girls saw in a flash what Molly had in mind. A long, slender arm of land extended out into the river. By going out upon this, one might be able to hold out a hand or, failing this, fling a rope to the imperiled girl. But we have no rope! This from Stella between chattering teeth. Molly, what can we do? For answer, Molly picked up a long stick that lay on the ground. Her face was white and her lips were shut in a determined line. One of you come behind me, please, she directed. Hold on to me if I slip. I'm going to stretch out this stick to Amy. If only she can reach it. Molly had already started out upon that thin stretch of land. Irene followed close behind her. Amy was tearing toward them now in the light canoe, working desperately to get it in toward shore. She was closer, but not close enough. A moment more and she would be swept past the girls and over the edge of the falls. Molly flung herself flat on the ground, working herself as far as she could out over the swirling water she held the stick from her at full length. Irene and Grace held to Molly to prevent her too from falling into the river. No use! Amy could not reach that stick held out to her. Only a miracle could save her now. Then it happened. A cross current caught the canoe in its grip, whirled it about suddenly, almost upsetting it, and shot it inward to the shore. The canoe, propelled by this invisible power, was heading straight toward the waiting girls. They cried out in incredulous hope. Hold it, Amy, hold it! Harder on the paddle, that's the girl. Oh, she can't make it, she can't, came sobbingly from Stella. She is making it, look! At that moment, Amy came abreast of the point, reached perilously far out over the water and grasped the end of the stick with her fingers. Lucky that the girls were on their guard. Lucky that Grace and Irene were holding fast to Molly in preparation for just that moment. Otherwise, Molly too would have gone into the water and over the falls with Amy. Marvellous that Molly could retain her grip upon the sapling. The rough bark cut her fingers, tore viciously at the tender flesh of her palms, but she gritted her teeth and held on. Held on while the canoe, half filled with water, tilted drunkenly and swerved inward to the shore, held on until Amy, sobbing and nearly done for, staggered with Stella's help from the canoe and fell, safe, upon the bank. Molly had sufficient presence of mind to catch the canoe as it slipped backward into the current and drag it up into shallow water. It was some time before any of them could speak. Between them, the others half carried Amy up to the higher land, soothing and comforting her until she had partially recovered command of herself. "'You are wonderful, girls! Molly, dear!' How did you come to think of that stick? It saved my life. Why, Molly, your poor hands, they are bleeding. 
It's nothing. Molly hastily hid her bruised hands behind her. What does little cut matter? But Amy pulled the hands from hiding and kissed them, and they all cried together foolishly and happily, while Grace tore some strips from their handkerchiefs and bound up Molly's wounds. Talk about the world war, said she, with a feeble attempt at a joke. It certainly had nothing on this. After a while, when Amy had gained strength, they started back again along the point of land. Irene, Stella and Grace carried the canoe, while Molly, excused because of the hurt to her hands, walked behind, an arm about Amy. Amy, dear, she said after a long, thankful silence, what would Will have said to us if we had let anything happen to you? It was all my silly fault, Amy spoke contritely. I don't know what made me act so, but I had a notion when I was alone out there on the river that I wanted to float about for a little, just drift, you know, and dream a little with my eyes closed. Ridiculous of me, wasn't it? She looked at Molly, flushed and pleading. The latter chuckled and tightened her arm about Amy. Of course it was, but you really weren't responsible, honey. If we ought to blame anyone, it would be the time of the year, and Will, I have seen the same thing happen to Betty, and I know the symptoms. When I opened my eyes, Amy continued in haste to change the subject, and rather more rosy than she had been before, I saw that I had drifted through the inlet. I tried to turn back, but it was too late. Molly, that awful current. This time it was Molly who interrupted hastily, with a hand over Amy's lip. She said gently, Don't talk of it, dear. We must none of us ever talk of it again, or think of it. Amy shuddered. I'm afraid, she sighed, that it will be a long time before I can really obey that command, Molly, no matter how much I try. In fact, the outdoor girls all found it so hard to forget the dreadful happening of the day that for some time afterward they could not bring themselves to approach that part of the river at all. They spent most of their time inland, discovering new beauty spots in the woods. They found a fishing pond, too, and thereafter spent many mirthful hours trying to inveigle the inhabitants of the pool into impaling themselves foolishly on the end of a bent pin. They really did catch a few fish in this manner and never failed to celebrate this event by a sort of triumphal march back to the house where they cleaned and fried and ate the day's catch with great appetite and gusto. They taste better than the cook's best company dinners at home, said Irene on one such occasion, even if once in a while we do have to peace out with canned sardines. One day the girls penetrated further into the woods than they had done yet. It was a beautiful day with a tang in the air, almost like a day in early fall. They carried a generous lunch with them and started on the hike with the avowed purpose of working up a better appetite than usual, which, as Irene slightly remarked, was going some. They had gone for a considerable distance, reveling in the sunshine and sweet smells of the woods, when Grace called their attention to the fact that the path they had been following, a new one, had ascended steadily since leaving the banks of the river. If we keep on this way, we have a very fine chance of reaching the moon, she said, pausing to wipe her very warm face with an insignificant bit of handkerchief. Seems to me it's getting hotter too. Maybe it's the sun we're near instead of the moon, chuckled Irene. I begin to feel a trifle warm myself. Listen, said Molly suddenly. As she spoke, the sharp bark of a dog reached their ears. It was so close to them that they were genuinely startled. Even as they looked at each other, the barking was swelled to a chorus, gathering in volume and swelling to a rather terrifying crescendo. Their first instinct was to retreat, but curiosity proved the stronger force and urged them on to have one look at these mysterious dogs now that the chance had brought them so near the habitation. They proceeded cautiously for a way and finally came to a clearing. In this open space were situated several long, low red buildings. In front of the largest and most imposing of these was a sign, Red Kennels, J. Smuddy Prop. Dog Kennels, whispered Grace. You might have known that. 
Look at the dogs in that wire enclosure, giggled Irene. Every variety known to man. No wonder we can't sleep at night, came resentfully from Stella. Emboldened by the fact that the dogs were imprisoned in the wire enclosure and so rendered temporarily harmless, the girls left the shelter of the trees and advanced a bit closer to the group of queer-looking buildings. As they did so, a girl slipped from a side door of one of these and disappeared around the farther corner of the house. The elder girls could not be sure, but the latter certainly resembled Robina Robinson. Even as they noticed this, the attention of the other girls was caught by a sharp cry from my Girls! I can't be mistaken this time! If that collie dog isn't Hesper... The sentence remained unfinished as Irene, heedless of danger to herself, rushed toward the wire enclosure. End of chapter 23 Read by Inkel